So I wake up on New Year's Day, and who knows what happened in the hours of falling asleep and the hours of waking, but I'm telling you, man, I, I felt like the world was over. Welcome to Natural Tendencies. I'm your host, Rick Braden. Join us as we hear the real issues affecting real people that truly and deeply impact their work performance. Anxiety, depression, conflict, marital problems, trauma, grief, and loss. Right here, right now, right on! Hello friends, today I want to talk about something deeply personal as it relates to my own bout with depression. Now, very fortunately, I'm not somebody who suffers from clinical depression, and the depression I do experience, thankfully, tends to last anywhere from one to, at the most, maybe four or five days. But I can tell you, when it hits, it's like the world came to an end. So, reflecting on the holidays. Interesting that Christmas fell in the middle of the week, because that allowed my team, myself, and many of you probably to have an extended break. So that meant two weeks for me, which is something pretty rare. So going into the holidays, we're met with just real excitement and joy and family celebrations. And one of the things we do is a big tamale making party. And we have very, very close friends, really family that live across the street. And we've been in the same house for 26 years. So these relationships run very, very deep. So just this sort of continually going back and forth between the houses, watching sports, having fun. All my children were in town. Awesome, right? So everything was going great and really enjoying friends and family in the holiday season. And really the events culminated with my daughter Lauren's New Year's Eve party. Usual suspects were in attendance, including some of Lauren's friends that I didn't know. So it was really fun at her place, and it's pretty awesome having a relationship with your adult children. So party ends, we come home, continue the festivities until a little bit after midnight, and toast, and... Of course, I was drinking grape juice at the toast. Everybody else was fired up on other cocktails. But, you know, we toast the New Year's all as well. So I wake up on New Year's Day. And who knows what happened in the hours of falling asleep and the hours of waking. But I'm telling you, man, I I felt like the world was over. I had zero 
maybe I can't say zero joy, but it sure felt like it. No interest in being around anybody, including the people that I love the most in the whole world, my wife, my children, my friends. And I really just wanted to hide out and totally isolate myself. Just feelings of failure, thoughts that my business was going to come to an end, that we were going to enter financial ruin, that there was no way I could get up and go to work the following Monday, that it was all over. Just the most negative blitz of thoughts and feelings and that desire to escape and just completely isolate, which is clearly one of the indicators of depression, is the profound desire to isolate. And I know these things, right? But when you're in it, it's different than knowing about it. And I think most of us, we try to think positively, try to um, be in the moment. And these are things that I've practiced, practiced for decades, not just for, you know, a week or two or this New Year's mindfulness class. Like I've been immersed in this stuff for a long time. And yet, there was no experience of joy. And then the second characteristic beyond, or another characteristic beyond isolation, lack of joy, is a complete absence of any kind of energy. I mean, even taking out the morning's trash was like monumental. And with that comes you know, not wanting to bum my family out and get them all worried. And then the guilt of being completely unproductive. Another characteristic of depression is this guilt, this sense of worthlessness. And I literally woke up in this condition and did what I could to get through the day. Slept a lot, thank God, because depressive bouts, people either tend to sleep way more than they usually do, and this was the case for me, and I'm actually thankful for it. And some folks go through insomnia, so then you're just in this living hell. And again, it's all relative, right? And I think, hey, look at how well we have it. And, you know, we're an upper middle class family. I've had a successful business for 13 years. Um, I love lots of people. There's lots of people who love me, right? What do I got to be depressed about? But I'm depressed. So then the guilt of that and what's wrong with you? And, you know, the whole starving children in Africa thing and just nonstop barrage, right? So just trying to get some escape, which largely came in the form of the wonderful baked goods my wife makes every Christmas. I don't know if you knew this, but we basically have like a commercial kitchen. She'll make maybe three to 500 dozen cookies. And I like everything she makes. So just mindlessly pounding that stuff and then feeling guilty about doing that and then eating everything under the sun. Another characteristic of depression is either a complete or close to a complete loss of appetite or just eating everything you can to hopefully feel better. That's why you do it, right? That's why we indulge. That's why people drink too much. That's why people smoke weed and get caught up in drugs because you just can't stand feeling so crappy and you want to get away from it. It's real suffering. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, you know, loved or unloved. Man, when you're in this moment, it's it's painful. And 
none of my things worked. I couldn't even get myself to meditate or any of my normal things that I do, exercise or anything. Exercise was completely out of the question, by the way, because it was a ton of energy just to go to the bathroom. So I knew I had an upcoming business trip on Sunday. So day two, wake up feeling almost exactly the same. And added to that, I had these horrible stomach cramps. (laughs) And having a recent bout of diverticulitis, which put me in the hospital with sepsis, now I'm fearing death. All right, so right down the list, we start knocking off the checklist of symptoms of clinical depression. We've got the isolation, check. Loss of, or increased appetite, check. Sleeping more than usual, check, 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 right? And then the other thing is I know about it. I know a lot about it and have worked with, geez, I don't know how many people who've, who've been depressed and I can't snap out of it. Okay. I can't. So let's go to the third day. Now I think, man, maybe this is just physical and the diverticulitis is back. So I go to see my doctor and she talks to me about one being in denial about actually having this diverticulitis light as I don't even know how to say it. That's how much I know about it disease. And I'm like, okay, so a little bit of relief of that. So we go into the weekend, and I'm like, maybe 20% better, but still pretty bummed out. Fly up to Denver to see my favorite clients. Oh, I shouldn't say my favorite clients. I, I just work with a small group of people now, and they've all really become family. So I'm going to see friends, and I am dreading it. Sit down with my son, because we share an apartment together uh, in Denver, And he's kind of bumming out, too, because somebody he knows died on New Year's Day, and it was actually Albuquerque, New Mexico's first homicide. Compounding that, the same day, my wife's uncle, who she's close to, I've known for well over 20 years, the whole time we've been married, finally succumbs to a particularly horrific cancer, right? So now we got the black cloud of actual death compounding all of this stuff, and so commiserating with my son, somebody who knows me and loves me well and who's also struggling for who knows why, there was actually a little bit of comfort in that. And then, inexplicably on my nightstand is Viktor Frankl's seminal work, which I'm actually going to put on the top five reading list of all times. Like if somebody pinned me down and said, what books do you absolutely recommend somebody reads? This one that amazingly shows up on my nightstand is one of them, and it's Viktor Frankl's Man in Search of Meaning. So I thought, oh God, since I'm feeling so wordless and meaningless and nothing I do has any meaning, and believe me, I'm trying to fight this, man. I'm not just sitting there. Well, I am, but I'm doing all my everything I know to do to snap out of this thing. Well, really, I'm not I can't really try to do much of anything. It's like an impressive weight on me, like the darkest clouds imaginable. So anyway, I think, wow, here's Man's In Search of Meeting. It's time to give this thing a read. So I don't know if you know this, but Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor and was in Auschwitz and other beyond imagination horrific circumstances and that experience which he miraculously survived led to his theoretical orientation on man's search for meaning 
which really comes down to this, that there's three primary areas that one needs, and I'm going to say needs, to find meaning within. One is your work, two are with those you love, and three is in your relationship to mortality and death. And so maybe just the stark contrast of what I'm experiencing with all of these wonderful blessings I have in my life. I know this, but in the moment, I don't feel it. I don't know it. Nothing, right? Somehow this book is giving me comfort. The next day, I'm meeting with my clients. We're getting on a plane to fly together to Kansas City. And thankfully, Thankfully, I'm probably at about 60-70% of my usual game, and I try hard, like probably you do, to bring your A-game to work each and every day, and especially when I'm client-facing out on a trip, right? I can't be sitting there all depressed and bummed out. I mean, who wants a consultant like that, right? So here I am, bah humbugging big time, but fortunately, it lifted, That night, I had another very meaningful conversation with one of my colleagues who's also experiencing the same thing. And as the fates would have it, within this period of four to five days, I end up talking to at least a handful of some of the people I'm closest to and people I love who are experiencing this really heavy hand of depression. Now, fortunately, as always been the case, After this business trip, it's been completely eradicated. So as a behavioral, somebody who studies the behavioral sciences and has done so for three, more than three decades now, I think I'm in maybe my 32nd year now. I'm like, what caused it? What lifted it? And within both, there's just this incredible mystery. But With a bout of depression, there's some sort of biochemical imbalance going on. Some people have that in their genetics. Uh, Man, my heart goes out to them. And now looking back on it, I don't know what lifted it, but one of the gifts and some of the meaning, back to Viktor Frankl, that I found in this particular bout was that it really increased my compassion for those who suffer from from depression. And that alone is just an incredible gift. So, you know, what did I do? Well, I did my very best to fight the overwhelming desire to isolate. And I think you kind of have to do that. And then, as is always the case, Jumping back into my work, really my calling, my passion, it has been for as long as I can remember, definitely made a difference. And I started reflecting, gosh, when when mankind, men, women, when we're left with a lot of idle time, which we are in an extended break where there's really not very much planned, how often do we gravitate towards the gloom and doom? And... Again, reflecting on Frankel's work, the importance of meaningful work and finding meaning in your work, it doesn't really necessarily matter what you do. It is possible to find meaning in it, and finding that meaning is absolutely critical, priority number one. So I didn't go into the New Year's 
into the New Year's with any set, fixed resolutions or commitments. But I have one now. And to the very best of my ability, it is going to be to find meaning in anything I do, whether it's washing dishes, connecting with the warmth of the water, gratitude about the fact I can turn on a faucet and even have warm water, that I can stand at the sink because I have legs and can do something that is actually going to make my wife's life a little bit easier, like doing the dishes. And so my commitment, and strongly encourage you to think about this thing, these things, is to find that meaning and to really reflect and ingrain it into the way we approach our daily lives. So fortunately, I'm going to sign off now as a no longer depressed Rick Braden. If you're in the throes of that, man, millions of us are. My heart goes out to you. I hope that what we say, what we do here at Essentials is somehow meaningful to you. And I also know that here's another, one of my good friends, Matt, asks me this question regularly. What do you know to be absolutely true? (laughs) First time he asked me, I didn't even have an answer for him. And over the years, I'm starting to fill in some of the things I believe to be absolutely true. And one thing I believe to be absolutely true is that in this search for meaning, it necessarily involves doing something to help others. I don't know a single person, not one person, who's truly contented, truly has peace and joy in their life, that doesn't dedicate some committed time to making a difference in the lives of others. So I hope you can find a way to do that and we can do it together. I thank you so much for listening and all you've done to help me. And I hope I can do things to help you. So signing off, hasta la vista, vida sane, au revoir. At Behavioral Essentials, we intend to help a lot of people. And today we hope we helped you. So join us for our next session. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And visit our website at behavioralessentials.com. Thanks for listening.